or if we say it more spiritually, some people will say, well, we're just waiting for Jesus to come back. Just sitting on the sidelines, waiting for Jesus to come back. Well, Jesus is coming back. But the idea isn't just to sit on the sidelines and say a prayer and then just go back to life as normal. The moment of salvation is not the end. It's just a beginning. It's a beginning of a life that is filled with the leading and the presence of God. It's filled, uh, the beginning of a life that is a transformational experience with God where he is transforming us from what we used to be into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not a sidelines type of life. That's an in the race kind of life. It's the beginning of this lifelong race that has a prize and has someone waiting for us at the end. If you're going to finish the race, then you must be in the race. And then the second big idea is this. You need to run the course that is marked out for you. You must run the course that is marked out for us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says again, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out out for us. God has this race marked out for us. He has specific things that he wants to accomplish in all of our lives. You know, my race doesn't look exactly like your race. Your race doesn't look like your children's race does. God has a unique design for us, a unique plan for each of us. However, there are some things that should mark every Christian race. There are some things that are common to every Christian race that God marks out. And I say this because sometimes it seems to me like like some Christians want to mark out their own race. Some people approach the Christian life with a very inward-looking, self-absorbed mentality as though they were the central figure in every Bible story. Have you ever met anyone, anyone like that? It's like they're the central figure in every Bible story, right? And, uh, you know, and it is true that God wrote the scriptures for us. And he wrote them to us, but they're not really about us. They're about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you put yourself in the Bible story, the place you should really put yourself is kind of as an observer seeing what's happening for the first time. Like, you should be the 13th disciple as you're looking at the scriptures. Like, you were right there just kind of watching, right? Uh, um, Or, you know, you should be that person that was on the fly in the wall just kind of watching. But, you know, it it becomes easy to make the Christian life uh, all about ourselves, right? So let me illustrate this. This is why this panel is here this morning. Um, I just want to illustrate this for you, how some people approach the Christian life. Now, this is not how we should approach it, right? But sometimes people approach the Christian life a little bit like this. You know this song? It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. Really. Right? You know that one, right? How about this one? I could sing of myself forever. I could sing of myself forever. Right? Or maybe this one. Uh... I'm really amazed by me. I'm really amazed by me. Right? Or maybe this one, one more. I really am the center of it all. I really am the center of it all. Right? All right, you know what I mean, right? 
I mean, we laugh a little bit at that. But sadly, I mean, it's really easy for us to approach life that way, right? Why? Because it's really easy to love ourselves, isn't it? It's really easy to be the center of our attention and focus. But the truth is, it's not all about me. I shouldn't uh, sing about myself forever. I'm not really the center of it all. And there's nothing about me that anybody, anyone should be amazed at. It's all about Jesus. I should sing of his love forever. People should be amazed at Jesus because he really is the center of it all. You know, but it's so easy to approach life from this self-absorbed, self-focused perspective and want to mark out our own race. And uh, really, why should we be surprised at this, right? Because the Bible says in the end days that people will be what? Lovers of themselves. It is so easy to be a lover of ourselves. But in the Christian race, it's all about God's purposes. It's about the race that he has marked out for us. And every race in the natural has some markers in it that tell you if you're on the right path. They tell you when to turn right and when to turn left and when to go straight. And so the Christian race is like that as well. Every race that God marks out has some markers. So let's look at a few of these markers. These may not be all the markers, but these are just a few of them that I see in these scriptures that we looked at. First is this, testifying to God's grace. Testifying to God's grace is a marker that should be in every Christian race. Look at it again in Acts chapter 20. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. God wants your life to testify to his grace. You may not do it in the same way that Paul's did, and you may do it in a different way than I do. Not everyone's a pastor or a missionary or a doctor or a nurse or a teacher. Everybody's race looks a little different, but in the path, in the race that God has marked out for you, God wants your life to be a testimony to the gospel of his grace. God wants to speak prophetically to your world through you. Did you know that? By his spirit in you, God wants to be a prophetic voice to the world around you. He wants to speak things to the world around you. He wants you to testify to his grace. That's God's plan. That's God's race for you. And Christians ought to ask themselves, you know, how can I use this path that I'm on to testify to God's grace? How can I use the stuff along my path to testify to God's grace? Have you ever prayed like that, you know, some morning, say, God? How is it that you want to speak through me this week? How do you want to speak through me today? How can I speak prophetically? It may be through loving someone, through caring for somebody, through expressing the fruit of the Spirit to somebody, through through sharing faith in Christ with somebody. God wants you to testify to the grace of God. And then secondly, each race God has marked out is marked by a cross or a dying to self. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 again. Verse 2, he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Every Christian race has a cross, a dying to self. 
and taking up the cross. If there's no cross, no dying to self, then you may need to ask, am I running the right race? There should be a cross, a dying to self. If there's a cross, a dying to self, then that's an indicator, a marker, that you are in the right race. And then thirdly, every Christian race is marked by suffering and persecution. On some level, for the sake of the gospel. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, Everyone who wants to live godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. On some level or another. You know, some people think that if there's suffering or if there's hardship or persecution of some kind, that, that that's a sign that God has left them. And, and it's easy to begin to wonder, God, where are you? You know, I feel like I'm forsaken. But God says that when you're suffering, that he is right there. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you're wondering where God is when you're suffering, I can tell you where he is. He's at the finish line. He's cheering for you. He's along the raceway. He's cheering for you saying, come on, don't give up. You can make it. You can do it. I know you can do it. You need to be in the race. You need to run the race that's marked out for you. And then thirdly, this is your third big idea this morning. You need to be focused on the finish line. You need to focus on the finish line. You need to know where the finish line is. What are you aiming for? What are you shooting for? How will you know when you've achieved it? How will you know when it's over? So 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Now watch this. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that I, after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Have you ever seen three-year-olds run a race? I mean, have you ever tried to organize a race for three-year-olds? I mean, I have, right? One's, you know, the finish line's there and one's standing like this, you know, look at... You're like, okay, turn around. It keeps turning around, right? And then uh, you finally get them lined up, and you say go. And, the, and one just starts off towards the finish line and sees his mother and just veers off over here, right? Another one goes a third of the way and just sits down in the grass, right? Another one just sits down right away, starts playing with the grass. And, uh, I mean, that's a three-year-old race, right? And that's what you might expect from three-year-olds, running a little bit aimlessly. But here in this passage of Scripture, Paul gives us this picture of an adult man in a race, running this way. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. Here's a picture of a guy who's a full-grown man in the Olympic Games running aimlessly. It would be like you're watching the Olympics and they're about to start the 100-meter dash and there's Usain Bolt and the, and the gun goes off and he starts right across the infield, across the long jump and across the pole vault and like he doesn't know where he's going. Or you're watching the 10K, and while everyone's going round and round and round the, uh, the track, some guy just jumps across the infield and then across the other side of the track, up into the stands, right where you are, and says, hey, buddy, do you know where the finish line is? And if that sounds really, really stupid and, and ridiculous, imagine what it must look like to God to see a Christian who seems to have no idea where the finish line is. To see a, a Christian who seems to not know where the race is going and where the finish line is. Basically, a Christian who's just Forrest Gumping it. You know, I don't think anyone knows what I mean there. 
Have y'all seen the movie Forrest Gump? All right, yeah. When he went on that run, you know, and uh, he just run till he reached one ocean and said, well, I can't go any further there. Turn around and run till he reaches the other ocean, right? I can't go anywhere there and just kind of run aimlessly across the country until he finally says, you know, I'm kind of tired. I think I'll go home now. <laughs> well, that may be good for a movie, but that is not good for your Christian race to just run around aimlessly until you just get tired and say, well, okay, I'm kind of done. I think I'm just done, right? Running aimlessly. So we need to keep our eyes on the finish line, our eyes on the prize. And so the question comes, how do we do that? Can I suggest to you the answer to that, the way to keep your eyes on the prize is faithfulness, faithfulness. Look at our scriptures again. The apostle Paul said this, Acts 20. He said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. Hey, that's faithfulness. He told Timothy, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. He was faithful. Think about our Lord's parable of the talents. What did Jesus say to the servants who invested their resources for him? He said, the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Keep being faithful. It will help you stay focused on the finish line. You need to be in the race. You need to run the race that's marked out for you. And you need to stay focused on the finish line. And lastly, this is your last big idea this morning, is you need perseverance. You need perseverance. You know, this morning I almost brought my elliptical here and set it up. And I was going to ask one of the youth maybe to get on it and see if they could run the whole time, see if they could run longer than I could preach. That'd be great, conscious. So we didn't do that, but I, but I almost did. I really wanted to, and, uh, but it didn't work out. But you need perseverance to do that. I mean, you've got to have a lot of perseverance if you're going to run longer than I can preach, right? And uh, so Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with what? Run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. How many of you have ever heard of the Boston Marathon? All right, so how many of you just don't want to acknowledge Boston exists? All right, because the Phillies just started their season, right? Okay, I get it, I get it, all right. Well, there's this marathon, the Boston Marathon. As a matter of fact, I think it's happening two weeks from tomorrow this year, uh, April 15th. And uh, it is the oldest marathon, uh, oldest annual marathon in the world. Uh, still running right now. Uh, it's been around since 1897, and it's also one of the most participated in marathons. I think there's over 20,000 people who run every year. But not everybody who starts the race finishes the race. Between mile 20 and 21, there's this hill that's known as Heartbreak Hill. There's a picture of it right there. Uh, and it's at this hill that many people experience what is known as hitting the wall. 
Now, medically, doctors can tell you everything that's happening uh, metabolically uh, uh, during that time. It has to do with glycogen levels and that type of thing um, in the muscles. But experientially, it's when you experience a sudden and overwhelming loss of energy. How many of you ever had that? Usually, it's Sunday afternoon for Christians. You have lunch, and then you have a nap attack, right? Sudden and overwhelming loss of energy. And you feel like you just can't go on. It's not a matter of force of will or anything like that. There's just nothing left in the tank. And it's here that many runners are forced to just stop and walk, or some of them just have to quit altogether. Now, as far as hills go, you'd not think that Heartbreak Hill is much of a hill to look at. right? Um, It rises 88 feet over the course of four-tenths of a mile, or about... 1,968.5 feet. So I got to thinking, you know, I wonder what type of an angle that is. I wonder what type of a a hill that is. So I I gave those stats to my math teacher wife over here, and I said, you know, honey, um, uh, what angle would that be? And she said to me, well, that's easy. The answer is the inverse sine of 88 divided by 1,968.5. And uh, I said, well, how about, can you do that math for me? And it turns out it's an angle of precisely 2.56 degrees. Now, that you see up there is an angle of about 3 degrees. All right? And so that's kind of that what Heartbreak Hill is, you know? So, uh, and I can tell you, by the way, it is really awesome to have a math teacher wife. Um, if you're not married, I recommend it. Right? So, <laughs> it comes in very useful at times. So there's that angle three-degree angle, and that's what that hill is. And, you know, if you look around, you can probably find um, hills around here that rise faster, longer, and so forth. It doesn't seem like a big, huge hill. So, so why do so many people hit the wall here? Well, for starters, it happens at mile 20. So people have been running for a long time. And then also, this hill happens right after three other hills that are before it. You know, have you ever seen someone who seems to be having a really hard time with a trial. But when you look at it, you're thinking, well, these circumstances don't seem like they're that hard. Why is this person having such a hard and difficult time with their trial? What's their problem? Shouldn't they be able to handle this better? You know, sometimes it's just that the race gets long. And sometimes you don't know what that person has just come through, you know, in the last week or three weeks or, or, or month or a few months right before hitting this hill. And now here's just one more hill, one more trial, one more difficulty. And in the natural, you just feel like, you know, like you just want to give up. And you're thinking, oh, no, not another one. You know, and you can't see how long this hill goes. You can't see how high it goes. You can't see what's over the hill on the other side. And it can make you just want to give up. It can make you just want to quit and say, you know, just stop. I just got to stop for a while. I just got to rest for a while. Because you feel so alone and maybe you feel like no one understands. And, it's, you know, it's easy to get discouraged. So what do we do when we have times like this? And I think we've probably all had times like this, right? A time when you, when you feel like you've hit heartbreak hill, you know, and you just don't know what's on the other side. If you don't, you can make it to the top. What do you do when you hit times like this? How do we get through? Well, there's just a couple things you need from Hebrews chapter 12, our scripture right here. First, in verse 1, you need to look at the witnesses. Look at it. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Look at the witnesses. Now, these witnesses are the people that he's just mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. That's the hall of faith. That's that chapter where it says, by faith, Abraham did this. And by faith, people shut the mouths of lions and received their dead back, right? And so it's everybody who's gone on before us and successfully run the race. Say, you are not the first one to go through the trial that you're going through. I know sometimes it can feel like it is, like nobody's ever been through this before. But God is saying that I have brought other people through this and I can bring you through it. Look at all these people that I have brought through the same thing that I'm bringing you through. And they've come through successfully and they've received the crown of life. God is saying, look at that because I want to do the same thing for you. You're not alone. God is with you. Consider the witnesses. And then secondly, from the second verse, Hebrews chapter 12, look at Jesus. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Keep looking at Jesus. When you can't see over the next hill, keep looking at Jesus. When you can't see around the corner and you don't know what's coming, keep looking at Jesus. Keep central in your line of sight. Keep focused on him because he's at the finish line. He ran this race before you. He's the author of your faith. That is, he's the one who started your faith. He's the finisher of your faith. That is, he's the one who will get you there. Keep going in the word. Keep looking. If you take it out for a little bit and you're struggling and you read a psalm and you say, well, I still feel the same way, read it again. Right? Read it again. Go a little bit deeper. Pause for a minute to, to let him bring your focus back onto him. Sometimes that's what it takes. Just a little bit more, a little bit more time in the presence of Jesus, a little bit more time in the word, letting the Holy Spirit do his thing in you. And all of a sudden, what looked like a big mess and what looked like you don't know if you can make it, all of a sudden, Jesus comes into focus. Your eyes are on him and you've got new strength and you've got new ability to keep going on. God wants you to make it. Keep looking at the witnesses and keep looking at Jesus. Keep persevering. You know, there's a story about the Boston Marathon, the 1936 Boston Marathon. There was this uh, runner, 29-year-old Johnny Kelly. He was in the race. Anyone ever hear of Johnny Kelly? A few of you, if you've been up that way. Well, Johnny Kelly had run the ra- won the race the year before. And he was representing the United States in the Olympics that year, in 1936. And he was the heavy favorite to win the Boston Marathon again that year. Now, Johnny Kelly was a legend in New England. He won the Boston Marathon twice. He finished second a record seven times. He was in the top five 15 times. Now, consider the span of a professional runner, his life. To finish in the top five 15 times, that's amazing. And he started and completed the race 58 times. Now, the first time he ran it was in his, in his 20s. So the last time that he started and completed the whole race, he was 84 years old. I mean, he was a legend. I mean, I can remember uh, 
as a teenager growing up and in my early 20s, um, every time the Boston Marathon was run, you know, some reporter or many reporters were somewhere along the line going to catch up with Johnny Kelly there because here he was in his 50th or 51st running of the Boston Marathon and they were going to spend more time with him than with the winner. And so he was expected to win that year, 1936. But also in that race was a younger, lesser-known 22-year-old runner, Native American, named Ellison Tarzan Brown. Now, he got his nickname Tarzan because as a kid, um, he was always swinging from the trees, so his dad nicknamed him Tarzan. And so at the beginning of this race, Tarzan uh, surprised people by staking out an early lead, which he held all the way to mile 20. But when he hit the hill at mile 20, he began to hit the wall. And, and so Johnny Kelly caught up to him, and as he passed him, gave him kind of a consolatory pat on the back, as if to say, hey, nice try, kid, but you know, maybe next year. Try again next year, but nice try. Maybe this year's not your year. However, instead of giving up, Tarzan marshaled his strength, set his eyes on the finish line, and eventually overtook Johnny Kelly again to win the Boston Marathon. And it was then that the hill at mile 20 became known as Heartbreak Hill. Not because this hill and this trial broke the spirit of a great runner, but because a great runner marshaled his strength and then broke the heart of the previous champion. That's how that hill got named. You know, it occurs to me that sometimes our adversary, the devil, comes around this kind of way Right when you're in the middle of Heartbreak Hill, when you know, you've been through three other hills and you're looking at this thing and you feel like giving up and you feel like, you know, how many more hills are there and uh, am I going to be able to make it to the top of this? You know, he comes along and kind of pats you on the back and says, hey, nice try. I guess this just isn't your hill. I guess this isn't your race. I mean, maybe you should just quit. Right? Maybe you should just give it up. Other people may make it, but, you know, not you. You're not really strong enough to make it. You know, other people may finish, but not you. You should just kind of give up and quit. Doesn't it seem like that's when the devil comes along, you know, and right when you're in the middle of all of that? That's when you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep looking at Jesus. Keep looking at the finish line. When you see nothing else, see Jesus. You need to be in the race. You need to run the race that's marked out for you. You need to keep your eyes focused on the finish line. And you need perseverance that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me conclude this morning with this. Now, that's not Johnny Kelly. And that's not Ellison Tarzan Brown. That's me. And that's not the Boston Marathon I was running. That was a 5K uh, in Pittsburgh a few years ago. And um, 5K is what? A little under three miles, I think. Uh, so definitely not the Boston Marathon. And on the right, that's, that's me crossing the finish line there. On the left, that's me checking my time because um, Jill had promised if I would do um, that 5K in under half an hour, um, she would give me a big hug, even though I was sweaty. If you know anything about Jill, she absolutely hates sweat, you know, and I always feel like, you know, whenever I've mowed the lawn, that I deserve a hug after that. And she doesn't think so, you know, because I always say, you know, um, Adrian hugged Rocky at, after he beat, you know, uh, Apollo Creed, 
and he was all sweaty, so I defeated the lawn. So, but, but here she had promised if you do it in uh, under half an hour, and, and so she, she made good on her promise, and it wasn't, you can see, some just cheapo A-frame thing. It was, you know, so. So I used to run more than I do now. As a matter of fact, I'll admit that when I, after I came to Lancaster, uh, and I kind of got out of practice a little bit. My daughter keeps saying I need to get back in practice and to get out and run some more, get on that um, elliptical more. You know, but this, I remember this one time uh, in Pittsburgh. Uh, I was, it was February, and, um, you know, when the weather was good, I'd go out to a place called South Park. If you know anything about Pittsburgh, they don't call it the South Hills down there for nothing. There's almost no, no place flat. And, but South Park has this nice flat area, a mile and a half you can run. So I like to go out to South Park. And, uh, but it was February, so I hadn't been out in some time, just been on the elliptical indoors. And, uh, and, but we had this really nice stretch of weather, nearly 70 degrees. And I thought, boy, I'm going to go out for a run. So this one day, I, I went out for this run. And as I started, it starts down this real gentle slope going downhill and then evens out. And so as I'm going down this hill, I notice coming at me, there's this young mother. And she's moving faster than I am. And she's going uphill. And not only that, she's got um, a baby stroller that she's pushing in front of her. And it's not just any stroller. It's a double wide. She's got two kids. All right, so this, this, this young girl, I say girl. I don't mean that disrespectfully. I'm meaning I'm a boy, and this girl is going faster than me. And uh, uh, with, with two babies going uphill. And, you know, she went and passed me, and I thought, okay, no, no, no big deal. Um, uh, I recognize I'm almost 50 years old at the time, and uh, I'm not what I was in my 20s, but hey, no big deal. I've accepted that. And so I go about three quarters of a mile longer, when all of a sudden from behind me, the same young mother just blows by me again. Only this time I notice as she blows by me, she's there running, and like she's overreaching down, fixing the, the juice bottle for the one kid and fixing the binky like this and making this look easy as she just blows by me. And I got to tell you, I was, I, was, I, I, was, I was discouraged. I mean, I felt like quitting. I felt like giving up. Like, oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. She's blowing my me. Uphill, downhill, feeding the kids, whatever. You know, she could probably, you know, do her taxes at the same time. And I felt like quitting, but I didn't. You know, I kept at it at my own pace. I finished the mile and a half, and, and not only that, but when I got there, I found that I had some more left in the tank, and I turned around and I ran back another mile. You know, you may feel like maybe you're barely moving. You know, you may feel like people are blowing by you, and, I, and I'm sure if some of our kids were here who are on the sports teams, OJ and that, you know, they'd probably look at me and say, well, Pastor Paul, what you're doing, we call that standing still, right? It may feel that way sometimes, like you're just standing still and spiritually everybody is just blowing right by you. But it doesn't matter what other people's races are. What matters is, are you running your race? Are you running the way God wants you to run? Just keep moving. Just keep going your pace. Just keep persevering because you can make it. There's an old proverb that says it this way, fall seven times and get up eight times. You know, uh, one person said it this way. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, keep moving forward. Or I like how Charles Spurgeon said it. He said it this way. By perseverance, the snail 
reach the ark. He may have been the last one there, but he kept going and he reached the ark. You need to be in the race. You need to run the race marked out for you. You need to stay focused on the finish line and you need perseverance. Would you all bow your heads in prayer with me now? And I just kind of want to pray with you this morning.